Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 11. We're going to be beginning with, uh, with verse number 29 uh, this morning. I know this week is, uh, is, uh, is Valentine's Day, and I don't want to start no trouble in uh, no relationships this morning, but uh, uh, have you ever noticed a lot of times when you're getting ready to go out to eat and you're all trying to decide where, uh, where you want to go eat? And there's always just this uh, one segment of the population. Uh, when you ask them where they want to go eat, they'll say wherever. Wherever's fine. And then you name a place, and all of a sudden, that place ain't fine. And you just go like this back and forth. Well, naming places, well, I just go anywhere. Well, it don't matter to me. Because it just seems we can't just really make up our mind where it is that we want to go. And that's where we find uh, the people in our verses of Scripture this morning. You know, Jesus had pretty much done everything to possibly he could to show them that he actually was the Messiah. You think about all the miracles that he did. You think about all the healings and you think about all the teachings and everything should have pointed them clearly that he was the son of God. But, you know, everybody just kind of stood on the fence. Everybody came wanting to see Jesus, but they really didn't want to make a commitment. And so this morning, I want us to, as we read these verses, think in our heart and finally make a decision in our life that Jesus is who he says he is and that we should follow him in our life. So let's read together in the book of Luke, chapter 11. We're going to begin with verse number 29, where we read this. It says, when crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign for the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with uh, with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and and condemn it. For they uh, repented of the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now now no one, after lighting a lamp, puts puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter it may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light, uh, the light you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part of dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. This morning for the word that you've given it. And Lord, we pray, Lord, this morning that we will see your light. Lord, that our hearts will not be hardened, but our eyes and our ears will be open to what you say to us, Lord, and that you'll speak to us and that you'll guide us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want us to notice the prefix to this, the, the preface to this particular teaching to which Jesus gives us this morning. It says, And when the crowds were increasing. 
In other words, Jesus is looking out amongst the multitudes. And he sees all these people who are wanting to follow him. All these people who have their demands. And all these people who maybe just want to come see the show. As these crowds are increasing, Jesus is going to begin to do something very strange. He's going to begin to start to whittle them out. He's going to start wanting to cut down these crowds. He's going to start pressing for a decision. And so as he sees these crowds forming around him, he realizes that of all these people that are here, very few people understand who he is and who accept him for who he is. Very few of them accept him as being the Messiah. Very few of them accept him as someone that they must obey and they must worship. All these people in the crowds, most of them are there to receive something for themselves. Some of them or most of them are there just to witness the spectacle. Some of them are just there just to be seen. And that really describes a lot of what we see in our world today, and a lot of what we see in our churches today, you see crowds of people just gathering around. You hear uh, crowds of people who say they believe in Jesus, but very few of them acknowledge them in their life by the way that they live. Most of us see him as just someone who is going to fulfill a need in our life or someone to whom we just want to see a spectacle. Maybe you hear stories about something great that's happening down at this church or that church, and so you're just going to go down there to just see what's going on. There's a great revival going down here. I'm going to go check it out because they just want to be a part of the show. And so he looks at all of these crowds who have been able to see Jesus and all the things that they have done uh, he has done. They have witnessed the miracles. They've witnessed the, the healings. They have heard the teachings, but yet it hasn't sucken into their hearts. They haven't been able to put two and two together. And so he turns and he looks at them and says, Oh, this wicked generation. Oh, this wicked generation. Now, I know if I came up here and started talking like that in this church, I'd be running out the back because it's a pretty bold thing for him to look at those people and say, you're pretty much a wicked generation, that you as a collective group of people are a wicked and evil generation. Now, what was the premise to which he called them a wicked generation? Now, we may think of a wicked generation. We may be thinking that it's because of their great sin, because of their great disobedience, because of the way that they live their lives. But that really wasn't it because we see later on, he says, you know what? Those people in Nineveh, those were wicked people. Those were sinful people. But God said, or Jesus said, you know what? Those people were pretty much better off than you. So it wasn't just a wicked morality of this generation, but what gave them their wickedness. And the reason why Jesus called them wicked is because they are, were always demanding a sign. In other words, always demanding that Jesus do something to prove himself to them. I want to think about that in our hearts and our life. And I want to see if that's us this morning. That as much as we've seen Jesus Christ do around us, 
And as much as we see Jesus Christ do in our hearts, in our lives, and as much as we know what Jesus Christ has done through us by giving us the gift of salvation, we still hold our belief in demanding that Christ prove himself daily. I want a new sign. I want a new sign. Jesus, I'll follow you if you just show me one more thing. You know what? We never really grow out of that in our hearts and lives, do we? It's always one more thing. Jesus, if you'll do one more thing, I will follow you. But Jesus says to them, you know what? You're not going to get another sign. You're not going to need another sign. Because he knew that a lack of a sign wasn't what was hindering them for following Jesus. And it reminds me as Jesus was, uh, was talking about the story about the rich man and, and Lazarus. And as Lazarus, as uh, the rich man is there in the, in the pits of hell, and uh, he's suffering. And he says, man, tell Lazarus to bring me a, just a little drink of water. And, uh, man, so I can parch my lips. and said, well, no, you know, there's a great chasm. You know, he, he can't come over here. You know, you're here, and he's over there, and, uh, you know, that's it. And then he says, well, man, just let me go back to a little while to my brother's to warn them, because if they see somebody rise up from the dead, then they will believe you. And what was the words that Jesus spoke to them? They have the words of the prophets and the law. If they're not going to believe them, then they're not going to believe someone rising from the dead. See, our refusal to believe in Jesus Christ, our refusal to follow him and obey him in our life is not in a lack of evidence, but it's a reflection of the hardness of their hearts. You see, they still, Jesus, do all these great things. But their hearts, their hearts were so hardened that they couldn't see it. Sometimes that's the way that we are in our life. And that's the way a lot of people are. And we say, man, if Jesus would come and do this and do this mighty work, if Jesus would come and uh, rain down hellfire and brimstone, man, people will change their lives. Or we keep waiting. Maybe, maybe things around here will get so bad, people will turn back to the Lord. Maybe it'll get their attention. But we understand, and Jesus tells us, it's not for lack of sign but it's the hardness of their hearts. And for someone who has a hardened heart, someone who uh, repeatedly receives the invitation to Jesus and repeatedly rejects it, who repeatedly feels Christ move in their lives and nudging them down to come and make a confession, the more they reject, the more they turn away, they have to harden their hearts. And the more you do it, the harder your heart gets to it's so callous that nothing at all could move it. And that's the way these people were. They have seen Jesus do so much. And when Jesus did those things, it pressed for them to make a decision. But they rejected it. They delayed it. They hardened their heart. To now it's really hard for them to see them at all. 
And he said, no sign is going to be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. Now, the book of Matthew, he goes on to explain what the sign of Jonah, one of the aspects to which it means, is that just as Jonah was in the, the belly of the whale for three days and then was spit back up, it was a reflection, it was a sign, it was a precursor of what the life and experience of Jesus was going to be, about how he was going to die, and he was going to be, his body was going to be in the belly of the earth for three days, and then he was going to rise again. And he said, the only sign that you are going to get is the work that I do here on the cross. That's going to be the sign for you to believe in my work. That's going to be the sign to which I'm going to give to you. But the sign of Jonah also refers to how he interacted with Nineveh. And the people of Nineveh, who were a very, very wicked people, but God decided in his love and mercy that he was going to give them an opportunity to repent. And so he sent Jonah to preach to them. And he just went out through the streets and he said, you know, the Lord is displeased with you. And if you do not repent, then the Lord is going to destroy this city. All they got was a message. All they got was a preacher who came and called them to an act of repentance. And they repented. And so Jesus says, you're not going to get a cosmic sign because that's what they wanted. They wanted a sign, not just a simple miracle, but a sign. And they were thinking back to the life of Moses. You remember when, uh, when uh, God was telling Moses to go to speak to Pharaoh? And, uh, and uh, you know, Moses was like, you know what? Uh, Pharaoh ain't going to listen to us. He said, well, I'll tell you what. Take that staff, and uh, I'm going to give you a sign. And he showed him where you could lay that staff down and it could turn into a snake. And then he showed him how you could tap that staff and how you can turn that water into blood. And that was going to be their cosmic sign that he could do it at any time, in any place, and show him that he was actually from a messenger from God. That's kind of what they wanted. And they were thinking about the cosmic sign that came when, uh, when manna came down from, uh, from heaven. And they experienced it day in and day out. They were looking for a sign like that. They were looking for a sign like when, uh, when Moses had died and Joshua had taken charge, God told, uh, God told uh, Joshua, he said, look, I'm about to do something to give them a sign so they will know for certain that you are my representative. And that's when he allowed them to cross the Jordan just like uh, they had crossed the sea in Egypt through Moses to let them know that Joshua was of the same standing of Moses. He gave them that powerful sign so that everybody could know, and that's what they wanted. They wanted a plain, visible, cosmic, great sign for them to believe. But Jesus tells us, if your heart is hardened, so much that you don't respond to the preaching that I preach. If your heart is hardened so much that you don't respond to the miracles that I've already done. If your heart is so hardened 
that you cannot look at me and recognize that I fulfill all of the scriptures that are prophesied for the Messiah, then you won't believe a sign, and you're not going to get a sign. Too many of us in our hearts and our lives, we demand signs. We want to see God do something great in us. We want to see a great movement. We want to see a great miracle. And we tell ourselves that if we see that, it would increase our faith. If we see that, we would believe in God more. But Jesus tells us that that's not true. All through Scripture, he says that it's not the beliefs and the signs that cause us to believe in him, but it's our trust in his word. God appeared to Abraham And he said, come follow me to a land that I'm going to show you. And I will make you a descendant. And I will make your your descendants more than the sand on the sea and the stars of the sky. So here was a person with no land, but was promised to be an heir of a kingdom. Someone who had no child, but yet was promised to be one who would have descendants that would outnumber the sand of the sea. But yet Abraham believed and he followed, just simply trusting in his word. And if our hearts are open to God, then that's all we need. But if our hearts are closed to him, not even a constant cosmic sign or miracle would make us believe. And so he said, look, you demanded a sign. You're not going to get one but the sign of Jonah. And then he rebukes them. He rebukes them by giving them how other foreigners had responded to him. Not God's people, but foreigners. He said, you know what? Think about the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba back in Solomon's day. She just heard about Solomon and how much wisdom he had and how much God was doing. And he, she said, I, I got to go, and I got to go see that. So she loaded up a bunch of gifts, and she loaded up the camels. She got all her escorts, and she went down to find Solomon, to track him down, to hear his wisdom. Went out of his way, out of her way to go find Solomon. But something greater than Solomon, notice that word he uses, is here. In other words, right in front of you. You don't have to go over here. You don't have to go over there. You don't have to climb no mountain. You don't have to swim no ocean. But he is right here in front of you. I, he, Jesus would say, look, I am speaking to you right here, right now, and yet you do not believe. He said, you know what, she's going to rise up at the judgment to condemn you because she was so far away, but yet she sought out God, but yet you were so close and were immersed in it so much, but yet you rejected. He said, then think about Jonah. Think about the people of Nineveh. They were about as lost as anybody. They were about as wicked as anybody. But just the sound of the word of a preacher. And they repented in slack cloths and ashes. But something greater than Jonah is right here, 
right now, but yet you don't believe it. Have our hearts gotten so hard that we can't see that Jesus is right in front of us? We read these words and it should just ring true to us as people who go to church and probably who have multiple Bibles in our, in our, in our hearts, I mean, in our, in our homes, and that we, we get to hear preaching all the time and we know about Jesus, but our hearts are so hardened that we still don't, know, we still don't respond. We're still asking God to show us more. We're still asking God to prove himself more and more to us. Because isn't that like, a, like us? Regardless of what God has done for us, if something doesn't go right for me tomorrow, if something don't go right for you tomorrow, you're going to say, well, this God don't love me no more. He don't do nothing for me. Every day we wake up asking God to prove himself to us after all he's already done for us. God has already done enough to show us who he is. It's time for us to make our decision. Then he talks about, you know, a light serves a purpose. Listen to what he says. He says, no, uh, no one after uh, lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter it may see the light. And he's using this not only to refer to himself, that he is the light, and that he is shining himself. He is not going around in secret, but he's out there in public proclaiming who he is and what he's all about. So he is letting that light shine, and he is uh, not hiding it. But he's using this illustration just like he used in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about how we are the light. We as having Jesus inside of us are the light, and we are the light, and we are to shine. And that's how it is known that we are actually one of his, that that light is inside of us, and it shines out in our hearts and our lives, and people are, should be able to see it. And then he gives on this other analogy. He says, you know what? You think about uh, your eyes. In verse number 34, it says, Your eyes is a lamp unto your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. You think about as you look around this morning, you think about how much light is just pouring into your body. You look up in the ceiling, and you see all those LED lights, and they're pouring out in your, uh, in, your, uh, in your eyes. You look around, and you see all the colors of the various shirts and the things that everybody's wearing this morning. And so there's so much color, and there's just so much light, and there's just so much that is actually being absorbed into, into your eyes and into your body. And so it just fills your body with just so much light and so much color. But if your eyes are bad, and I've been a lot of, uh, around a lot of people who can't see, and maybe you've been a time where you've been in, uh, in one of those caves where it's just pitch black dark. And even though that there is so much around you, and even though that there's so much color and so much light around you, you can't take it in. Because you are blinded. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? That describes you. 
there's so much God around us. If you had the eyes to see and would open them up, you could see Jesus at work. If you had the eyes to see, you could see his love, you could see his grace, you could see him moving in this world, you could see him moving in your life, you could see him moving in this church, you could just see him moving all around. But if you are hardened, if you are blinded, you say God has forsaken us. You're saying that he's nowhere to be found, that there's no evidence whatsoever to prove that he even exists. But if your eyes are good, you can do like me. I like going out at night when it's clear. And you can go back there and you just look up and you just see all the stars in the sky. You see some of them blinking. You feel the cool breeze. You smell those smells, especially get springtime. You hear the noise of all those animals. And you just know that there is a God. And as you sit in the morning and as you watch the sunrise and as you sit in the evening and see it set, those of us who eyes are open can see God all around us. But for those who have closed their eyes, see absolutely nothing. And he goes on to say, he says, if your whole body is full of light, uh, uh, body is full of light, having no part of dark, it will be well, it will be wholly bright, as when a light is with its rays gives light. If your whole body is full of light, in other words, if there is a light not outside of you, not talking about what's coming in, but if that light is actually inside your heart and it's to the point where it radiates to where there's no shadow, there's no measure of darkness, then out of you comes that bright light lamp rays just like the sunshine for everybody to see Jesus in your heart and in your life. And so what Jesus is saying to them then is the same thing that he would challenge us with this this morning. He said, you know what? You ask me for a sign. Regardless of what I've done already, you still ask for more. Every day you seemingly always ask me to prove myself. Regardless of what you've read about in Scripture, regardless of how you've seen me move around you, regardless of how you see me move in your life, you're always asking more. You're always asking me for a sign. But I have proved myself faithful. I have proved myself trustworthy. And if you had the heart uh, soft enough, then you could feel me move. And if your eyes were open, you could see me work and you could see signs all around you. I have proven myself beyond a shadow of a doubt to be who I am. But how about you? 
Where's your sign? Where's the evidence that would prove to Jesus that you are one of his? Where's the evidence? Where's the sign that would prove to the people around you that you are actually a follower of Christ? You see, Jesus is always faithful. Day in and day out. He never changes. There's no variation in him whatsoever. We, on the other hand, we're a little shaky, aren't we? We can come in here one Sunday, and we can be all happy and good. And we can come here next Sunday, and oh my goodness. It's just the kind of way we are. We have all these swings. We have all these moods. We have all these turns. And we have all these good days when we're up high with God. And we have those days when we're down here. And so what God is asking us, I know that I'm trustworthy. I know that I'm faithful. But what's the sign in your heart, in your life, that you're actually a follower of me? And so this morning, we're not asking that Jesus prove himself one more time because he's actually done all that he needs to do. And if we had eyes to see, we would see him all around us. But what we need to do this morning is to look inside our heart and say, is it nothing but hard, cold, darkness, and hardness? And if it is, it's time for us to get ourselves right with him. It's time for us to look inside our hearts and then inside our lives and see is there evidence to prove that we are who we say we are. Let us pray. Hey, Father, we thank you, Lord, for being the constant, never-changing God who always loves us and always cares for us. And always responds to us with forgiveness when we come in repentance. And so, Lord, that morning, this morning, we come repenting of the times to which we've questioned your faithfulness to us. The times to which we've questioned your power. And, Lord, we come repenting of the lack of showing people around us the proof of who we are and what you've done in our lives. Lord, I just pray, Lord, we commit ourselves this morning to letting the light shine in our hearts and our lives. That every day we become more and more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.